I say now, you're tuned in to the Wake Up and Win podcast, and I am your host, Devon Pouncey. I am here in the city of Portland, Oregon, at the Momentum Studios. No D-Boy, no Spencer Shea, just me. But we will have a guest come on here shortly because uh, this guest and I, he's a familiar voice. You've heard him on here before. But we've currently got this, like, friendly podcast debate going on. Obviously, me representing on behalf of the Wake Up and Win podcast, disagree with him and some of the takes that he's been having on his podcast. And quite frankly, he's been calling us out. Wake Up and Win listeners, he's been calling us out. So we'll have a little bit of podcast wars amongst so much other with our good friend and guest who I will introduce to you shortly. But prior to that, some quick announcements. This Saturday, December 18th, 4 p.m. tip-off, I will be on the call for Pacific University Women's Program down at the Stoller Center in Forest Grove, Oregon. They'll be playing against Nebraska Wesleyan University. I've been telling you all since prior to this college basketball season started, this women's team is the team of the three teams that I I call games for, obviously, as the analyst for Portland State's men's basketball and also the play-by-plays for Pacific University men's basketball, along with the women, obviously. This women's team is the team that I was most excited for coming into this season because I know that they have a group that is really, really special. And so far, they have shown how special they really are to this particular point in the season. They're already 2-0 in conference play. They got a 6-3 and record overall, lost some competitive matchups. But this is a really, really promising program. So it's really quality basketball. For, yo, for those of you that have nothing to do on your Saturday, come on down, watch them. It's fun. It's a good environment. And like I said, it's high-quality basketball over there with the Pacific University women's team. Um, Also, if you just want to watch, because you can't come down to Forest Grove, Oregon, tune in on GoBoxers.com. Just head over to their schedule on GoBoxers.com. They will have a watch link for you there. And you can listen to me on the call while watching some great basketball once again. Also, I'm actually just going to announce the games that I have for the remainder of the year because this is our last podcast episode of the year 2021. Obviously, Christmas is next weekend, and so we're just going to take that week off. Now, the week after, we will do a best of 2021 episode. We'll have a bunch of clips of some of the best moments that we've had this year, but as far as me coming on and hosting and giving you my thoughts and my takes and opinions and brain dumps and so on and so forth, this episode is the last one. We'll do that, but I will have more games on the horizon um, before we wrap up the year, and it's more so particularly New Year's weekend. So many of you may or may not have anything to do on New Year's weekend, but here's my crazy schedule. December 30th, We will have a home game. Portland State will be playing against Eastern Washington over at the Viking Pavilion. Come out if you can. If you can't, it will be on ESPN+, Plus, so you'll be able to tune into that. That is a 7 p.m. tip-off. So um, that is their conference matchup against Eastern Washington. So it's all Big Sky play starting December 30th and thereafter. So obviously a pivotal time of the year. The team could use your support. Again, the Viking Pavilion is loads of fun, and I just encourage anybody who gets an opportunity to come out to a game at Portland State to do so. On December 31st, though, which is New Year's Eve, Friday, 4 p.m. tip-off, 
Pacific University Women's. Once again, they'll be hosting Illinois' Wesleyan University. So I'll be on the call back at the Stoller Center in Forest Grove on New Year's Eve calling that women's game. And then on New Year's Day, Idaho will be coming to town to play against Portland State. So that'll be obviously another Big Sky Conference matchup. That'll be Saturday, 7 p.m., January 1st, 2022. And uh, pull up if you can. Tune in on ESPN Plus if you can't pull up. So that's the announcements that I have for the remainder of the year. Because, again, this is the last episode of the year. But now I want to get into some content. And I'm going to bring on my guy here, Chris Partee. You're back again, Mr. Deadspin. Mr. Courtside Crossover Podcast. How are you doing, sir? Chris, Chris Partee, say that back one more time, please. We'll get the edit right. Chris Partee, welcome to the show. How are you doing, sir? I'm good. I'm, I'm ready to get it popping here, Devon. You know, I'm just I'm ready to get into it. I appreciate you having me on your year-end show here. Um, I didn't realize it was a year-end show, but hey, I'm happy to be here. And I'm ready to rock out. Absolutely, man. And like I said, you're a little bit in the announcements. You and I, we've got a little bit of podcast wars going on because we have a particular debate that we just can't quite settle on. You've talked about it a bit on your courtside crossover podcast, and we'll get into it here today on the wake up and win podcast. But it's interesting when I reached out to you yesterday, I say party, man, can you come on for about 10 minutes or so, so that we can have our little friendly podcast debate that we have going on. And then today when I called you here, I said, yo party, you want to just rock the whole show with me? I'm in studio by myself. And you agreed to do so, man. What a sport. Hey, you know, hey, I got your back, NC Cataract. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know that all time. <laughs> I, I like it. I like it. Well, let's start with the big news, man. Steph Curry surpasses Ray Allen for the all-time three-point record. He has made more three-pointers than anybody we've ever seen. And essentially, it comes as no surprise, but... This record ain't coming to an end no time soon. He's still got a lot of years left in his career to play. He's obviously still playing at an MVP caliber caliber level. Heck, this year he was the fastest to make 100 three-pointers in a season. Like he did it in like maybe 19 games or something like that, but the fastest player to reach 100 three-pointers in a season. He's already accomplished that feat this year. So yeah. We don't know what this record will ultimately end up being, but the fact that he is in that number one spot is a huge deal. It, it was no better of a setting. Obviously, maybe if he'd played at home, that could have been the best potential setting if he would have been able to do it in front of the Warriors fans. But exactly. the fact that he was able to do it at Madison Square Garden, there's not a second better option than being able to do it in front of your home crowd, party. No, no. And I mean, on top of that, the fact uh, of the matter is that they showed so much love. You know, like there was no hate there. Like the fans was hyped for it. Everybody in the arena was hyped to see him break this record. And he did it. And I mean, you talked you talked about how he's the fastest to reach 100 threes in the season. He did it in like 20 games. I mean, yeah. that's just, that's ridiculous. I mean, I'll, I'll share something with you. Not a lot of people know this about me, but Reggie Miller is my favorite player. Okay. Like that, okay. That that, that, that Reggie Miller was my guy growing up. Um, 
I mean, like when I was playing when I was younger, I knew I couldn't be Jordan, right? I didn't have that athleticism. But I could work on my jump shot, right? I could, I could, I knew I, I never got that good, obviously, but I knew that that was something that I could possibly attain. Right. So Reggie was always my, my favorite guy. So to have somebody like um first Ray Allen and then now um Steph Curry pass Reggie and then pass Ray Allen, I mean, talk about you can't find a more stand-up guy, probably, um, in today's, you know, sports in general than Steph Curry. You know yeah. what I mean? So the fact that, you know, just outside of the basketball stuff and everything he does charity-wise, you know, the foundations he has and all these different things, stuff he still does for the city of Oakland and children in Oakland, even though they don't play there anymore, like, he's just a stand-up dude, so I'm glad that somebody like him could come along and take this record and to uh, speak more to your point, he's going to put this thing, like, so far out. I mean, it's just going to be ridiculous. It's going to be ridiculous by the time he's done. Do you think? Do you think that we'll ever be able to see anybody surpass Steph Curry's three point record? Obviously, we don't know what that final number is going to be, but in our lifetimes, at least, do you foresee anybody being able to break whatever that record ends up being, based on his current trajectory, the way he's playing right now, and how much longer he could be playing this game? Devon, I'm going to say yes, and and for the only only reason I'm going to say yes is because. The way teams are shooting the three now, and obviously we know he, uh, Steph, and Clay, you know, they ushered that in. But teams are shooting so many more threes than they were even five years ago. Someone eventually is going to, I think, get to that record, no matter how far he sets it out now. He's probably going to play at a high level. You know, before the season, I said he might have three to five more years at a high level. He might have seven to eight more years, to be honest with you, at a high caliber top five MVP consideration type level. So he's going to put it so far out. But eventually, even in our lifetimes, because I mean, we ain't, you know, I ain't that old. I'm older than you, but I ain't that old. Right, 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 right. We still going to see, I think we'll still see somebody get there, but they won't do it, in my opinion, as efficiently as he had. You know, a lot of these guys are shooting mid 30s to uh, upper, you know, upper 30s as far as three point percentage. His career is around 42, 43. It's come down a little bit since a couple years ago, but he's around 42, 43 percent. Yeah. Overall, for his career, shooting three. So no one will do it as efficiently as him, in my opinion, but I think someone will get there. But he's going to make well over 4,000 by the time it's all said and done. You know what I mean? That's a crazy number. That's a crazy number. And and I agree with you. I don't know if I would say seven years at an MVP level, but seven years as a career, maybe? Sure, I'll give you that. I'd say probably another four or five at an MVP level, but I mean, who am I to undermine his greatness? <laughs> Obviously, after what all of that he's already accomplished, but that would just be my guess, and, and that would kind of just be the number I threw out there if I had to. But it's interesting because he finally called himself the greatest shooter of all time when he surpassed Ray Allen's record, which to me, I felt a little different. I considered him the greatest shooter of all time when I watched the dude hit over 400 threes in a season. That's when he became the greatest shooter of all time to me. Whether he passed this record or not, I knew we ain't never seen nothing like this dude to be able to hit 400 threes in a season. That was just out, outright incredible. But I do respect his stance and the way that he felt like he would have been able to earn that title was by making more three-pointers than anybody ever has, and there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's really interesting. This year, Partee is panning out to be a special one because, to me, this could end up being one of the most pivotal NBA seasons in NBA history, and I want to kind of give you some context to what I speak that from. 
And that's okay. more so from a legacy aspect. And to even narrow that down some, my personal top five players in the NBA right now is Steph Curry, and this is no particular order, Giannis Antetokounmpo, LeBron James, Kevin Durant, and Nikola Jokic. That's who my top five best basketball players are in the world are in the world as of current today. Now, I don't think my theory on why this season will be uh, so pivotal necessarily pertains to Jokic that much. But in terms of legacies of LeBron, Giannis, Kevin Durant, and Steph, this year could have huge implications on how we look at their legacies, maybe in comparison to other years in the past. Obviously, you look at Kevin Durant. He's killing it over there with Brooklyn. They're number one in the East. But we still ain't seen KD win a championship without Steph Curry. And for his name to kind of be mentioned with a little bit more stability and maybe a tier above him, which is ultimately your LeBrons, your Michael Jordans, your Kobe Bryants, your your Kareems. He's got to win a title without Steph Curry. We already respect his skill set as arguably the greatest scorer of all time. We respect everything about his game with the exception of the fact that he went to go win those titles with Steph Curry, and we haven't seen him do it alone yet. So huge year for his legacy and the implications of that. Then you look at Giannis. You look at if you break the game down by decades and you look at the 90s was Michael Jordan. The 2000s was Kobe Bryant. I mean, you could throw Tim Duncan's name in there as well. The 2010s is LeBron's decades. You can throw Steph Curry in there as well. Giannis has the opportunity to get himself off to a massive head start to be able to sort of be that player of the decade in the 2020s. Obviously coming off of a championship year in the year 2020, uh, 2021, excuse me. And whatever he does this year, say he goes out there and he does win another one. He's off to a massive head start of being that guy. He just turned 27 years old. I would say maybe 27 to 33 is what sort of your prime years are in the NBA. And the fact that he's just getting into his prime and he has the opportunity to get off to such a jump start in terms of obviously accolades, but titles in particular, I think this year is a huge year in terms of Giannis being able to take a step into what can ultimately be a top five greatest player ever. Obviously, LeBron James is LeBron James. He's chasing Jordan right now. We're having the LeBron and Jordan conversations. That's what they are. LeBron winning another one might even submit him as the greatest basketball player of all time, even though he would still be one short of Michael Jordan, who has six, and obviously he'd still have an opportunity to get six as well. But say this was the last year he ever won a title, I think you could seriously and legitimately say LeBron James is the greatest player of all time, and it would be hard to argue. And you still would be able to say the same for Jordan as well. But right now I still think Jordan is a little bit ahead in that general debate. And then I think LeBron's biggest nemesis in his career has been the marksman, Steph Curry. So you look at this would be number four for Steph Curry. Now we got to start giving Steph Curry a heavy consideration of maybe a Mount Rushmore guy in terms of all-time NBA players, if he can go out and win a championship this year. So I don't know. These legacies just seem so big and so extensive in terms of what's on the line right now. Obviously, 
tacking that on to what it is that all of these great players have already done, this year I think will be a year that we'll be talking about 20 years from now in regards to how we look at these dudes' legacies. And I don't know if we've ever seen that many guys have as big of a legacy on the line as we do at this particular moment in time. You got any thoughts on that theory? Yeah, I mean, what you just said about Steph, like, really made me think. um, You know, you said if he wins a championship this year, obviously that'll be number four. And he has a really, to add to that, he has a really good shot at winning the MVP this year, which would be number three, right? Right. Um, I think the only thing that would keep Steph, okay, let me ask you this first. Is he top 10 already to you, in your, in your opinion? Top 15. Yeah. I, I I would put him oh, in the no, top no, 15. I mean, he's definitely top 15. Like, I, I, for me, that's not even a question. I mean, honestly, right now, if I had to pick, he might be somewhere between 20, 10 and 12, in my opinion. I agree. Far, all time, top right now. Agree. So, Let's just say, for the sake of argument, the Warriors win a championship this year, right? And he wins an MVP, right? And that's where I was going, because that's really the only criticism of him, right? He hasn't won a... Oh, you mean the the regular season? Oh, all the above. (laughs) All the above. Honestly, I don't know if the... If he can win the finals MVP and not win the uh, regular season, I think it still moves him up quite a bit. I agree. Agree. He hasn't done it. He hasn't... Now, you can say what you want about 2015, whether he should have won... The finals MVP or not that year, he didn't win it. So, you know, we can't change that. But if he wins the finals MVP this year, they win the finals, even without the regular season MVP, that has to catapult him up towards, you know, if not top, probably not top five. I won't go that far yet, but, you know, top six, seven, eight. But why wouldn't you? But why wouldn't you go that far yet? Because four championships, and then he finally gets a finals MVP. He obviously is the greatest shooter we've ever seen. Like, I think he skips maybe the Larry Birds who might be ahead of him. He might even be able to skip somebody like a Shaq, who I would consider to be ahead of him right now. You're talking, like I said, top five, maybe even Mount Rushmore. He would be like right at number four maybe, but that that gives him a pretty significant leap from maybe a top 15 team to – a college football playoff watch guy. <laughs> I like the analogy. <laughs> right, right, right. Four teams, baby, four teams. I think right. he skips significantly if he wins a title this year. And as you mentioned, wins a finals MVP, which who really would be his threat to do so on his team? Yeah, I mean, we thought that before, though. And I'm not, I just, you know, they weren't the same team then, obviously. I agree. They are now. They didn't have the legacy yet. They got, they have a, uh, when they won that first one, they, no one expected that, right? They right. They have an actual legacy now. They have a past and they have experience. So it's a little different. We expect more out of Steph now. Right. But now, I, I give you this. If he was to do all three, regular season MVP, finals mm. MVP, you know, and the championship, then, yeah. You you got a real good argument to throw him up there. A really top good argument. five. Now, yeah. There, yeah, that's what I'm saying. You got a real good argument for him to be in the top five. Now there will be people that um, you know, rail against that, you know, for sure. how it played it played out. But I mean, four championships, three regular season MVPs, finally have a finals MVP. I mean And the all time three point record. All time three point record. He's a two time scoring champ. I mean it would be hard to argue that. It really would. It right. Would just be hard to argue. It would be hard to argue that. As far as, um, I mean, you talk about LeBron. LeBron is LeBron. I mean, like you said, he's the only one right now 
that's in the conversation with Jordan. He's right. The only one. Absolutely. Out of all the guys you name, out of anybody playing right now, he's the only one in the conversation. Absolutely. Now, and I'm still on the same page with you. I still place. I still have Jordan number one. That that you know that was you know my wheelhouse, my area. But I've also watched all of LeBron's career too. And I mean, it's hard to really go against six for six in the finals, six finals MVPs, ten scoring titles, and whatever else you want to say about Jordan. All all NBA's, all defense. We know the resume. We ain't got to go there. We know all that. It's hard to go against that. But LeBron, if he wins a title, and, and on top of that, if LeBron and the Lakers win the title this year after the start they had to this season, yeah, yeah, it's a real argument because this has been a struggle. I mean, it has been a struggle for real. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I still think they're contenders, even with the struggle they've gone through because of who they have on that roster. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, we talked about this coming into the season. I told you that was the really only that was really the only team. And I overlooked Phoenix, so my apologies to all the Phoenix fans for that. But I told you the Lakers was the only real team that I worried about for the for the Warriors coming into the season. And now it hasn't panned out that way yet, but I think they can still get it together. You know, whether they get, you know, you know, there's rumors now about them possibly trading Russell Westbrook. We don't know what's going to happen there. But I think, you know, we still got a long season ahead of us. So we got, we got you know, still more than half a season to go. So we'll see what happens. But, um, yeah, if LeBron can somehow figure out how to get this team to the championship this year, yeah, that, you know, that'll be huge for his resume. Huge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Huge. And then you obviously got Giannis, who, like I said, this this if Giannis can go win it this year, it becomes his league, essentially. Yeah, I'll, 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 yeah. If they if they win it again, like he already has two two league MVPs, so he don't really even need to worry about that anymore. If they win a championship again, and you know, you talked about our little podcast debate uh, that we've been going back and forth on, but if they win it this year, and Giannis basically kills it again, because he's gonna have to kill it for them to win, it, obviously, for sure. You gotta, yeah, you gotta. He's gotta be the best, you know, hands down, best in the league right now. He have, it would have to be his league. It would just have to be. Yeah, it yeah. Would, would, I mean, Steph can break all the records he wants, and the Warriors can win all these regular season games. But if Giannis can get to the finals and win, and especially if they were to beat, play the Warriors and beat them, you'd have to give it to uh, Giannis at least for right now. Give him the crown, the best in the world. Absolutely. As contrarian as I've been with you over this, yeah. I wouldn't even be able to deny him on that. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> and, and, and then lastly, Kevin Durant, what do you think this year means for his legacy? Because like I said, for me, we know he has the skills to be in a Mount Rushmore, Mount Rushmore conversation with the likes of LeBron, with the likes of Michael Jordan and whoever else. He just only has two championships. And of course, he has a little bit of a stain from just the general public, not that this necessarily matters or not, but people hold against him that he won those two championships the way that he won those two championships. So if he can win one separate from that, obviously I think now having three titles puts you in a conversation with guys of the like of LeBron and Michael Jordan because his skills are so undeniable. Yeah, I mean, let's just be honest. Out of the other, out of the four guys we just talked about, and I guess you know the five, if you include Nikola Jokic, he has the best skill set. Kevin Durant does out of all of them. Just all as, as an all around player, at this point, he has the best skill set of all of those guys we just named. Right. Right. You know, and, and a lot of that's because of his size and his height and what he can do on the perimeter with the ball in his hands. All these things, but he's going to have to show that he can be a much better leader because LeBron, Steph, and Giannis. They've shown us that they can be leaders. Now, they do it in different ways, obviously, but 
they've shown us they can be leaders and lead teams to championships. You know, people always want to talk about Steph and KD and, you know, those two championships, but people act like the Warriors didn't make it to two straight finals before KD got there. Exactly. That's what kind of irritates me sometimes. It's like, you do realize that they got there twice. Yeah. And they really, and they should have won the second one. Let's just be honest. And, and the way they eliminated KD the year before exactly. he showed up in a head-to-head in the Western exactly. Conference playoffs. Exactly. Down 3-1, came back, got him up out of there. That's what kind of, you know, especially if you're a Warriors fan, you run the Bay, that really irritates you because you act like Steph hadn't already shown you that he could do it, you know, as the lead guy without another, you know, top five superstar in the league on his team. So but Kevin Durant is going to, and, and I'm starting to, I'll be honest, man, I'm, 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 I'm losing a little bit of faith in the Nets. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you because there's no Kyrie. I don't know what's going on with James Harden. Do you know what, what's going on with James Harden? I mean, he's just. The, the rules he, changed. The rules changed. That's what's going on with James Harden. But I mean, if you're a superstar, you got to be able to adjust. Because other guys have adjusted already. You know what I mean? Some other guys have already adjusted. I agree. I agree with you. But I don't think other guys did what he did to the magnitude that he did it in terms of the the ways that he got to get to the free throw line. It was so unique that it, it, it was sort of abnormal in terms of what we see within this sport. And the fact that he's left-handed, I think, plays a, a little bit of a role in terms of just making things a little bit more awkward in that regard. Yeah. So I, I think with him, you know, he obviously isn't the same player that we've come to know over the last five years or so, an MVP, scoring champion, yeah. so on and so forth. But the Nets are still the number one team in the East, and Kevin Durant is currently yeah. leading the league in points. Like, he's probably... The, leading the MVP race right now today, I I think him and Steph are neck and neck. Either way you go, I'm not mad personally. But again, if he can go out and actually get it done this year, especially if we do consider the fact that he doesn't have a Kyrie and we've seen a, a, a little bit of a drop-off in what James Harden has been able to do to this point in his career, we we got to talk about Kevin Durant in a different light. We, we do, but here's the thing about, and, and I'll tell you why I'm losing a little bit of faith in the Nets. Um, they're, they're getting fat right now on bad teams. They're not beating the, the Milwaukee's, the Chicago's, right. the Miami. They're not, and they lost to the Warriors badly. Yeah, All right? true. They're not beating the better, I think they even lost, I think they lost to Phoenix too. All right, so they're not beating the better teams in the league, and these are the teams they're going to have to beat to get to where they want to get to, right? Absolutely. So, I agree. You can beat the Pacers, the Magic, Detroit, um, all these other bad teams all you want. That's fine. And you should beat them. They're not as good as you. Even, you know, whether you got Harden in there with Durant or Irving or not, you just got Durant and everybody else. That's fine. Right. You got to beat the good teams, dog. You know that. You know that. You got to beat the good teams. They're not doing that right now. So I need to see them start beating some of these upper echelon teams, some of these top four, top five teams in both the East and the West before I can really say, okay, yeah, they're back on track. Because, yeah, they're in first place right now. But your Bucks are catching them. Yes, they are. <laughs> they only two games back. I give you, I give you that. They catch, and, and the Bucks were down to like eleventh at one point. Yeah, you know. Yeah, very, very slow. A little bit, slow. a little bit of NBA Finals hangover. A little bit of an unhealthy start to the season. But since we'll get into this debate later, but the big three <laughs> has come together. 
They're now at number three in the Eastern Conference, but we'll talk about it later, Part T. <laughs> or we can get into it now if you want to. I'm down to do whatever. We can go there right now because, I mean, at best, they're a dynamic duo. They're a dynamic duo at best. I'll give you that. Okay, so just to give context to the listeners of basically the argument that me and Chris Partee have been having and we have yet to be able to settle on this argument... I, Devon Pouncey, I, Devon Pouncey, the host of the Wake Up and Win podcast, believe that Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday are indeed a big three. Chris Partee does not believe that Giannis Antetokounmpo, Chris Middleton, and Drew Holiday are a big three. Chris, you're the guest on this podcast. I'm letting you okay. go first. Well, thank you. All right. I'm gonna make. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make. I'm gonna make this simple. All right. I'm gonna, I'm gonna make it simple. What is it? And I'm gonna throw one of your own criteria at you. You talked about all stars, right? Three all stars being together. To me, it takes a little bit more. To, now, I'm not saying they can't. I've never said that they couldn't become a big three. I said right now, I don't see them as a big three. That's my opinion. Let's look at all star appearances here. All right. Drew Holiday's been in the league nine. Almost 10 years. He has one all-star appearance. Now, he is, he is three-time all-defense. I'll give you that. But one, one all-star appearance. Chris Middleton's been in the league like eight, nine years. He has two all-star appearances. Now, if they were perennial all-stars, and now we don't need Giannis's resume. We know everything he's done. He's automatic. He's a superstar. We just talked about that. We know that. Right. I think, it takes, I think it takes more than one superstar, a really good role player, and another good role player to be a big three. That, that's all I'm saying. That, that's all That's all I'm saying. Now, again, if if, 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 um, if Middleton and Drew Holiday both have been in the league, you know, eight, nine years, and they both six-time All-Star, something like that, you know, a couple All-NBA, whatever, that's fine. Chris Middleton's never been on any All-NBA team, ever. He, he, he still has not. He didn't do it last year. Two-time All-Star, that's it. So I think it takes a little more as far as um, credentials. To, to catapult just winning one championship. Now, if they were to win again this year, then, okay, you might have me. All right, now, obviously, you got a long season ahead. We got to see what happens. For sure. But right now, as it stands, we, we've been talking about this for almost a month now, right? Yeah. So right now, as it stands on December 16, 2021, I can't go here yet with them. I, I just can't. I can't do it yet. All right. Now, here's my thing. <laughs> okay. You sat here and you didn't call them perennial all-stars, but you did indeed call them all-stars, correct? Yeah. Because they have been all-stars in this league. To me, that is good enough, especially when you actually win a championship together to be considered a big three. Three guys that are all-stars have been all-stars in this league. They're in their primes and they actually got the job done. Now, when Drew Holiday first signed to the Bucks, I might lean with you a little bit more and say, okay, we'll see if they're a big three or not. But the fact that they won a championship and they each have been all-stars, they are currently in the primes of their careers, and together this year they've been doing pretty damn good when they all three are on the floor together – To me, when they won that title, that propelled them to being a big three. I would have questioned it before they won that title. But the fact that they got it done, 
I've never seen another big three that hasn't won a title. They got just as many titles as Ray, Kevin Garnett, and Paul Pierce have together. And that's a big three. All of them been all-stars. Sure, you could go perennial all-star and take it there. But to me, the title means a little bit more. And to me, it, it offsets maybe the fact that these guys don't have four or five all-star appearances and they've got one and two. Because – go ahead. No, no, I think we're arguing semantics here. I mean, because I, that's what I'm saying, though. You brought up that. I was going to go there as far as comparing them to other big threes. Look at that Boston big three. Those all three of those guys, even before they coming to when they came together, I didn't immediately make them a big three. All of them had been on all NBA teams. All of them had been perennial all stars, not once or twice in like eight years. Perennial, making it a good amount of the time, I would say, at least half the time for sure. At, the, at that point, okay, they had a lot more going for them credential wise than the than the other two do on this so called big three. That's where I'm. That's why I'm going with it. I, mean, I think we have a different definition, obviously. So, I mean, so, so my point. So, I guess where where I think we're having a little bit of a disagreement, and I think I figured it out. You have to be a big three when you first come together. Well, no, you because be because honest. again, these three have the same amount of championships. Say what you will about their prior careers and how many All-Stars and everything. Sure, when they came together, we considered them a big three because of who they were. But what is it that can propel you to become a big three if there's any questions about it? To me, that's winning a championship, and the Bucks did that. Yeah, but I, I'm, I'll be honest. I, just, I need to see more. I, because, I see more. because I think that's the same way that Steph, Clay. And Draymond were able to become a big three because they did it pretty early on in their careers with not a lot of all-star appearances, but they weren't a big three until they won that championship in 2015. Sure, they've done a lot more since then to submit to cement that, but to me, after winning that title, they became a big three. But let's, but let's be honest, and, and I mean, we can go back later on and look at this. We can pull up old articles from back in the day, old clips from 2015. They weren't initially called a big three just after winning one championship. It was more so after they won, broke the, uh, the regular season record next year and got back to the finals. It was more so after that. Not initially just after winning that first championship. People did not really see them as a big At least not nationally. Maybe in the Bay, that, you know, you can say that. But like true. nationally, this true. Way. So that's what I'm saying. I just need to see more. Uh, if they win it this year, okay, give it to them. But I, I need to see more. I just need to see more. After one championship, nah, I can't, you know, especially with those guys. But I'm also interested this, though. I'm also I'm also interested. I'm not sure Draymond Green had an all-star appearance before that season either. And all of these guys did have an all-star appearance prior to becoming a big three. And that, to me, puts them a level above Steph Clay and Draymond if you're talking about after the first year that they've each won championships. If I if I'm if I recall correctly, I could be wrong. Maybe Draymond was an, a, a, an All Star player the year prior when they lost in the I think it was in the second round to the Clippers. I could be wrong. Maybe you could look it up over there. I, 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 but but I, I could be wrong there. But these dudes, all three of them, have had been All Stars 
prior to coming together as a big three to where I don't think they needed to sort of have that prove-it year that maybe Steph Clay and Draymond had because they were so much younger. And Draymond, I don't think, had been an all-star coming into that situation in terms of the year that they actually started winning championships. Yeah, but what I'm saying is I don't look at them in Milwaukee in the same light because each three of those guys before winning a championship were already all-stars. So the fact that you bring three all-stars together, for me, they didn't need a prove-it year. They just needed to prove it because we know they all were all-star caliber players in this league coming into it. And I feel like winning that championship proved it for them because they had already been all-stars and ways where maybe Steph, Draymond, and Clay hadn't been yet. You could say it was because of their younger, but regardless, they just weren't proven yet at that time as all-star players in this league, all three of them I speak to, where this Milwaukee Bucks team, they paid Drew, Drew a very significant contract to do exactly what he came and did because they felt like he was the missing link to that dynamic duo of Chris Middleton and Giannis Antetokounmpo, and I think he proved it. By coming in and winning a championship right away, essentially. Yeah, no. And, um, so Draymond, he made it the next year. He made it 2015, 2016. I think that was his first All-Star. I'm looking up basketball right now. Got it. Here's the thing. Hey, that was his fourth year in the league. <laughs> That's fine. That's fine. That's fine. But he wasn't an All-Star yet, so we weren't going to call them a big three after winning just one championship. Drew was an All-Star. The Bucks knew that. It wasn't a starter. It's a one-off and he wasn't a starter. It doesn't matter if he was an all-star. I didn't say he was a superstar. I said he was an all-star. Anybody who's an all-star starter, I would consider to be a superstar, essentially. He wasn't ever a superstar, but he was an all-star that came to sign with this team to come win championships, and they did it immediately. I just, and I mean, see, now, now that you said that, we just have different definitions. I'm, I, I'm, of the, um, I'm, no, honestly, I'm of the belief that there's only a few superstars in the league, like real superstars. Everybody in the book is a superstar, in my opinion. It is not. I, just, I can't, I'm not giving that to everybody. Everybody's not a superstar. You know, there might be seven in the league, maybe eight. Maybe. Name, so uh, superstars in the league. Superstars in the league. The, uh, what's the, the five that we named already earlier? Who's the five we named? The five that we named the already. Five. The five that we named, I named LeBron, Giannis, Steph, KD, and Jokic. All superstars, in my opinion. Damian okay. Lil- yeah. da- Lillard's a superstar, bro. Yeah. James Harden, regardless of the year he's having, he's still yeah. a superstar. Yeah, yeah. I mean, before this year, I, I would have put um, Harden... Above Jokic. Uh, right, like that. right. Harden's a superstar. I don't know what's going on with him right now. I would have put him above Jokic, but I mean, right now he's not. So. I believe Dame's proven a superstar as well. He's a proven okay. superstar in this league. See, now, I, I'm going to give you one right now that I'll get pushed back on, but I don't care. I'm not putting, um, what's my, uh, in da- what's the boy in Dallas? Luka Doncic? That's fine. That's fine, but I will put Kawhi Leonard in there. That's fine. I, that's fine, but I will put Kawhi Leonard in there. That's eight. So that's essentially what I speak to when I say all-star starters. That's eight of your ten starters right there, and you could debate the other two if you will. But to me, if you're an all-star starter, essentially you're in a superstar-like conversation. That's the way that I see it in terms of who is a current present-day super, superstar in the league. To be 
eight out of ten, and you could debate the other two, to me is majority enough to say an all-star starter is a different tier that Drew Holiday has never been. But he has been an all-star. One time in nine years. Like, I just, I can't go there with him. And, and beyond even just if, that. Even if, you're not a, but even if you're not a starter, I know it's, trust me, the West has been tough even for Dame. Okay, I get it. But he's made it more than once. Do it more than one time. Do it more than one time in, in nine years. But I also, I, I, I also hold significance in how your peers respect you as well. And I've seen what he's been able to do to Dame in the big moments. I've, I, I, I see, I've heard KD call him the best defender in the world. I'm just saying, the signing was for him to take them over the top as somebody who's been a proven all-star in this league before, and he took them over the top and they got the job done. So to me, they've already earned big three status. I, again, when he signed, I would, I would have been a little bit more on the fence, and I probably would have more so agreed with you. But when they won that title, to me... Hey man, he got an all star contract. He came. He it was. He had all star like expectations. I mean, they wanted him to come win the title, and he got it done. Let's be honest. Half the league has an all star contract now, so that that means nothing to me. True. True. But half the league ain't won no chance. Half half the league ain't come and be the lone player that can sign with a team and take them over the hump to become champions. He did that. He did that. He took them over the hump. He did that. Let's be honest. They got huge breaks. Come on now. Oh, we're not doing that. We're not doing that. Huge breaks. Everybody, every championship come with a little bit of luck. Every championship comes with a little bit. You can, anybody, with any champion will tell you that winning a championship does come with a little bit of a luck, with a little bit of luck. But, but to be a champion, you have to outright earn it. And they did it. Regardless of what was put in front of him, you got to earn being a champion, man. Luck included. Let's see him earn it this year. Let's see him earn it this year. So, 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 what did last year mean? They didn't earn it last year. I need to see more than what I've seen from this. Based on the other guy's resume, I need to see more than what I've seen. I need to see more. That's all I'm saying. I, I, I've seen it. I've seen enough. I mean, I just, you know, we went off of your criteria as far as All-Star. He's a one-time All-Star in nine years. You I mean, can't oh, take it from him, no, Parti, but you can't huh? take that from him. You can't, but there's other guys that have made it more than him. And, yeah, and you can't take it from them either. If they can go out and play with two other yeah, All-Stars and win a championship, you couldn't take it from them big, either. But everybody's not a big three. That's all I'm saying. Like, we want to crown people as big three all, all the time. I didn't it's crown them initially. I crowned them after winning a championship. Yeah, but you're trying to now. I don't think I just don't. Because they just I, won a championship of not even half, not even maybe half a year ago. If we look up three years from now, they've only won one championship. Are they still a big three? Yes. Because they no, got it done. Yeah. <laughs> Book it. Really Book it, party. <laughs> and then, come on. At least the Warriors kept going. They went to the next one the next year. They didn't win it. But well, they kept going. Well, hey, they looking damn good. They're number three. They they they're number three in the East right now. They since they oh. played together, they might have lost two or three games and won like twelve or thirteen. So either way, I, they got off to a start where together them three on the floor they were ten and zero. So to me, I, I mean, obviously only time will tell if they keep oh. going. But I don't see any signs of them falling off. No, I mean, they're going to be a top two seed in the, in the East. Let's be honest. They'll, they might be number one this year. Which they means they're a contender, year. which to me, well, after already winning the title, coming back, being a contender, I'm confident calling you a big three. 
I'm not. <laughs> I'm not there. Not there. I'm not going about there. All right? I'm talking about there. I'm not confident calling in the big three. I'm just I'm not there yet. So we ain't going to never agree on that. Let's go to the next topic. Let's go to the next cop. The next topic. Uh, What do we got here? Dan Lanning is the new head coach for University of Oregon. You got any thoughts on that party? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I don't know much about Dan Lanning, but, um, yeah, I, honestly, I don't, I, I, I hadn't even really, um, touched that yet. So, I don't know. <laughs> Before I, yeah, so you might want to cut this part out with me. But, um, All right. Well, let me talk a little bit here then. Um, yeah, I don't know much about him either, but what I do know is <laughs> <laughs> what what I what I do know is he was a defensive coordinator at Georgia, and they had a very they had a very high level defense over there. So maybe he very much so earned this position. But I'm curious to see how the rest of his coaching staff rounds out because, to me, Oregon, the University of Oregon's brand, especially as a football program, is rooted in offense. When you hire a defensive coordinator as your head coach, your assistant coaches, especially if you want to protect that particular brand, now becomes very, very important in regards to what type of program this will be. I don't necessarily think you can turn Oregon into an SEC-like program, which is where Dan Lanning comes from. I think Oregon's niche is athleticism, especially being that a lot of their recruits come from the West Coast. Now, sure, maybe he can go get some guys here and there from over in SEC territory because he's been there for such a long time. But when you talk about where the majority of your recruits are going to come from – we're not we're not we're not as big as some of those dudes are in Texas but we are every bit as athletic and that's what our niche is is our athleticism here on the west coast in terms of how we've always sort of played sports so i'm just curious to see if this was the right move in terms of does Dan Lanning fit what Oregon football has become, especially when I also see the letter that's written by all of these former players, Marcus Mariota, uh, you name it. I think Royce Freeman might have been on there. I don't have the letter up right in front of me right now. Justin Herbert's name was on there. You had a lot of guys whose name was on this particular ordeal. And to me, like I said, Oregon has made its claim to fame off of offense and off of being a premier athletic type of a program because of, again, where, where the bulk of their recruits come from. And stylistically, that's just the way things are. I'm interested to see what this mix is going to be like bringing Lanning all the way over here to the West Coast. Now, I hear he's from L.A., so that's cool. But that helps a bit. That helps a bit. So maybe maybe that kind of allows him to to bring both styles together in terms of his experience in the SEC, but obviously him originating from Southern California as well. So maybe that's what they saw that I didn't, but I am a little bit concerned about hiring a head coach that was previously a defensive coordinator at a school that's known for its innovation and its prominence on the offensive side of the ball like the University of Oregon is. Yeah, well, what I will say is – Losing Mario Cristobal will hurt in recruiting. I mean, you just alluded to the uh, the recruiting aspect. He's a good recruiter, so it will hurt in that aspect, especially when it comes to 
offensive linemen. So, and again, that kind of goes back to your point about the program just being more so being a uh, offensive, you know. It's style. a skilled program. It's a skilled exactly. program. A skilled, a skilled position program. Right. Um, so that will hurt losing uh, Mario Cristobal, but I think we all kind of knew when Miami came up open that he was probably going to be out of there. You know? Right. So I think we all kind of knew that was going to happen. So again, like I said, I don't know a lot about um, the new coach, but um, the defense should be a lot better. The defense I, should be... And again, this is not the SEC. I mean, right. the, 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 the Pac-12 has been down a little bit. You know what I mean? For, Absolutely. For a while now, so if he can kind of keep the offense where it is and keep building that somehow, it seems like he's going to come in and know what to do with the defense, obviously, because he was a defensive coordinator. He's a defensive guy. So Oregon might be able to kind of, you know, maybe take over. I don't know if they'll, you know, maybe take over the uh, the Pac-12. I, I will say this. I will say this. Obviously, you got Lincoln Riley over at USC now. That changes things, in my belief, over there in Southern California in terms of maybe being able to bring back that tradition that USC football has laid over the history of college football. But but also beyond that, the Ducks did make a big move. I, I talk about him often. He's actually a friend of mine. Coach Don Johnson, who is the director of recruiting at University of Oregon and has played a pivotal role in being able to land some of those recruits that Cristobal was able to land. You've got some young top 10 recruiting classes that are coming up within Oregon football. And I think in terms of at least being able to retain some of those guys and also be able to retain some of your commits the fact that they just signed Don Johnson to a multi-year deal to stay in his position at University of Oregon, even with a new head coach coming in, I think was a big-time move by the university, and that's going to help them tremendously to be able to keep some of the relationships that they have with young recruits that they're trying to bring in and obviously some of the young recruiting classes that that – have high potential to be able to stay and to be able to retain those guys for them to kind of have some instant impact in terms of landing coming over here and making the difference that everybody here wants to see in terms of them becoming a national powerhouse again and obviously competing to win a national title. Yeah. Yeah. man. Definitely being able to, um, to keep one of your, uh, you know, main recruiting guys, you know, within the system, even though you got a, you know, we have a, a new coaching staff coming in for the, you know, basically. So, I mean, to be able to keep him is going to be big for them to, like you said, continue getting some of those recruits, um, and to hopefully be able to continue to get some of those recruits from the, uh, you know, like the Southern California area with Lincoln Riley area with Lincoln Riley now being down there. Absolutely, because he's gonna. I mean, the SEC has been stealing a lot, a lot of those kids for however long now for the last ten years because USC has been down. Yeah. SEC, Big 12, everybody has been stealing a lot of those kids because they didn't have the program and the system in place. So everybody thinks now with Lincoln Riley there, that will change. Um, I don't know for sure if that's going to happen, obviously, but um, they're going to have a good shot at it, at uh, keeping a lot of those LA kids and just California kids in general. I mean, yeah. we got a lot of kids that come from the Bay that go elsewhere. Yeah. To go to crew. Absolutely. From the, the top of crew. So. We'll see what happens there with uh, with Oregon and USC, for that matter. For sure, for sure. I want to transition a little bit, Partee, because in this one, um, you can chime in as you wish, but I, I kind of got some stuff to get off my chest. And Uh-oh. this is in regards to Damian Lillard. And basically, 
recent comments that he has made about the media, essentially, about five days ago. Um, so I'm going to play a, cl a clip. Go ahead and mute yourself, Party, and then chime in as you wish. I mean, they don't know my name. I'm happy these dudes. I know that they are popular and they, you know, national people, but they don't know me. They don't have my phone number. I don't know them personally. They don't have to live with the consequences of nothing that, no decision that I make. So it's easy for them to, oh, I heard this and this person said that, you know, but when they're wrong, nobody go back and, and, and check them on it. You know, it's always, oh, well, Dame said this or I heard he said that, but like I come out here and I answer these questions over and over and somehow still it's people skeptical of, about what I say. So, I mean, it is what it is. I mean, you can't trust nobody in this in this industry, and that's all it is. The, the thing that I know is I, I am who I say I am. I say what I mean. I mean what I say. And, um, you know, you can, you can criticize how I play or who I am as a player. That's one thing. But who I am as a person and the things that I say, I mean them. So that's one thing that I stand on, and I know people can't, can't challenge me on that. So it is what it is, man. They can say what they want. It's hard. They, they can't say they have my best interest when they don't know me. I've never told somebody that I don't know personally, I got your best interest and meant it when I, I don't know them. So they can continue to talk. They can continue to say what they're going to say. You know, it is what it is. I, don't, I really don't care no more. So that there was a frustrated Dame Lillard. <laughs> very, very frustrated. <laughs> very frustrated Dame Lillard, but... but I'm going to get into a little bit of a, a monologue here, Part T, because obviously we heard that clip and Dame was speaking to the media about the media. And folks probably think that I'm going to come on here and express my thoughts on trade rumors or how good the Blazers aren't at this particular moment in time. Um, but that's not what I'm here to do. And if you heard last week's episode prior, we recorded this episode, last week's episode the day before that press conference was released, essentially. And I said a lot of those same uh, sentiments on last week's episode, and then he basically just supported it with that press conference and what he came out and said. But I'm not here to talk about the Blazers, per se. I think there is sort of a social dichotomy that I want to speak to that I've analyzed. Obviously, a lot of that based on what Dame just had to say there, um, part of it in regards to me being black in the media space as well and in the journalism state space. And then some of it is based off of an experience that I just had earlier this week with a platform that Damian Lillard actually do trust or does trust in the media space. And I know that because 10 months ago, he did an hour-plus-long interview with this particular platform and that platform is Million Dollars Worth of Game, hosted by Gillian Wallow. Now, many of you may not know what that podcast is. It's definitely one of my favorite podcasts. Um, Gillian Wallow, Gilly is, he got his claim to fame essentially as a rapper. Wallow is his cousin who has become like an, an Instagram social media personality. He did like 20 years in prison. And he comes from the inner city of Philadelphia. Him and Gilly both do, so... That can sort of give you a background on them, but in regards to the significance of their podcast, it's a top three music podcast in the world. Go on your Apple to iTunes, whatever you got to do, and look up 
the top rated podcast in the music category, and you will see million dollars worth of game right near the top. That's how big and significant of a podcast this has become. But I went back to the Bay. I had to handle some business out there. And the night that I was out there, I ended up going to see them. They're on a live podcast tour right now. Um, and I got to go see my first ever live podcast, first and foremost, which was super dope. But also, I got to really kick it significantly with Gillian Wallow. Shout out to Simba, my cousin, who was the connect. He performed at the show as well. And he was the one who connected the dots. But essentially, we got to really kick it with them backstage and chop it up for over an hour about all kind of stuff. We talked about sports. We talked about Gilly and Joe Buttons back and forth over their potential battle, which is obviously sort of a podcast war as well in itself, but they're both former rappers who have very successful podcasts. Um, we talked about street shit. We talked about marijuana. We talked about all kind of stuff. You name it. But I asked Gilly and Wallow both the question because they've done so many significant interviews, especially over the last year or so. And I essentially asked each of them what was their favorite interview that they've done. And it was a little bit harder of a question for Wallow to answer just because they've done so many significant ones. And he's like, I hold each of them sort of in special regard. We've had artists that have come on that have passed away since we've interviewed them, like shortly after we've interviewed them, we obviously had some of the biggest stars in the world come onto our podcast. Like they've done so many high level and significant interviews that it was hard for them to pick. Now in Gilly's case, Gilly said his favorite interview was Kevin Durant. Gilly's first love prior to getting his claim to fame as a rapper, he was a hooper. As a child, he was a hooper. He played college basketball like he was a sports dude first before he ever got into the music industry. So he was basically telling me, being that Kevin Durant has the potential to be a top five greatest player ever, to be able to talk to him with the passion that Gilly has for sports was just by far his favorite interview. So then I followed up and I asked them a question. I really more so asked Gilly this question. And I knew what his answer was going to be to this question. I say, yo, Gilly. I said, man, you doing all of these big-time interviews, you cranking these big-time interviews out, do you consider yourself a journalist yet? And Gilly looks back to me, and I'm going to try to imitate his voice right quick because if you know Gilly, you know he's got a very distinct, rapt, raspy voice. You know what his answer to me was, Parti? What's that? <laughs> Fuck no! <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man, I kind of felt that that was coming. <laughs> that was the answer. Now, now here's the thing, Parti. I identify as a journalist, right? I'm a journalist. This is the work that I do. I identify as such. But in a lot of other areas of life, I can identify with Gilly, and I can identify with all of the reasons that he refuses to identify himself as a journalist, even though he's hosting one of the biggest podcasts in the world, he's getting the best interviews, but he doesn't even want to attach his name with the word journalist, which is kind of interesting to me because I understand how journalism has affected and impacted his demographic because I come from the same demographic as Gilly does, even though I do personally identify myself as a journalist. So... 
it's interesting and it's also telling when you hear a clip like that to circle this back to Damian Lillard and you hear a clip like that from Dame who basically isn't willing to talk to folks in the media or as he would say, national people who have traditional journalism backgrounds because basically they aren't to be trusted. And he can't trust nobody in the industry. In my in my eyes, based on the context, given what he was saying, the industry is the sports journalism or the sports media industry. But just 10 months ago, he was able and willing to sit down for over an hour and do an interview on Million Dollars Worth the Game to Gillian Wallow is very, very telling to me in terms of sort of the disconnect of a lot of these athletes, and if I want to make it even more particular, a lot of these black athletes and that of the people that covered them. Yeah. That's telling to me. And go ahead. No, 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 no. Oh, yeah. It's just very telling to me because these are the people that cover Dame every day. These are the people that he's around every day. So you would assume being that they spend so much time together that, Dame would be willing to say more and have a little bit more comfortability with these people who obviously don't reflect who Dame is. And to take it a step further, I come from the same place as Dame. In a lot of ways, Dame and I are cut from the same cloth in, in, in ways that the general public just wouldn't know because you know, they're not from where Dame and I are from. But yep. even when you look at the journalists that Dame is willing to give stories to, like Chris Haynes has essentially become the Damian Lillard insider, just to, just today, yeah, just today, Mark Spears wrote an article in the undefeated about the relationship between Damian Lillard and Chauncey Billups, which to me is to sort of clear the air of what I just played in that clip and Dame's frustrations and how he's been covered by the national media. You even take it to a guy like Stephen A. Smith, who sings the same tune as a lot of the national media does. And even last week, D-Boy gave Stephen A. a hard time on this here very podcast, imitating him all the whole nine yards, because Stephen A. does sing a tune that a lot of this national media sings in terms of trying to get Dame traded and these rumors around Dame's trades. But where I will give Stephen A. some credit last week, he mentioned, even though my views don't align with Dame, I did speak to Damian Lillard a few days ago, and he is still steadfast in the fact that he wants to be a trailblazer. He's not looking to be traded. He's not going anywhere. So the fact that Stephen A. could even acknowledge that, I think was very important because clearly these other folks can't necessarily acknowledge that they've been speaking with Dame and he's calling them out on it in press conferences now. Now, obviously, the through line, whether you talk million dollars worth of game, whether you talk Chris Haynes, whether you talk Mark Spears, whether you even talk Stephen A. Smith, regardless of how you feel about him, all of these dudes are black. Facts. <laughs> all of them. They all share a racial background with Damian Lillard. That majority of these people that I assume he was talking about in that particular press conference don't. And he's grown a real problem and a real issue with that. So when I, so when I look at it from that particular lens, to me, it's like, yo, 
These traditional journalists, we 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 got to get it together. And listen, I'm somebody that identifies as a journalist, so I'm not saying this to call out white media per se. Sure, could I call them out? Absolutely, but I'm not saying this in an attempt to call out journalism in the industry at large because I'm a part of it and I identify with it. But I also identify with all the things that Damian Lillard and Million Dollars Worth the Game and even Haynes and Stephen A and Mark Spears can all identify with that most of this media journalism sphere just cannot because it doesn't look like us. And sure, folks can try to call it bias that Dame is maybe only really talking to black media and black journalists in the industry, but if you're going to call that bias, you also got to call bias the hiring practices in the history of journalism and media and how that may necessarily more so reflect you and who you are to be able to be in a position that you're in as a journalist. And, and why is that even an issue that he speaks to who he wants to speak to? I mean, whose show is Aaron Rodgers on every damn week? Pat McAfee. McAfee, right? for sure. They can, I'm sure they can relate on them. They may not be from the, the same places exactly, but being white males in America, they can relate on a certain level that you, myself, Dame, we can't relate to that. Right. We can, we can, you might just talking about yourself, myself, Dame, we can all relate to each other from being just from the back. Yeah. And we black on top of it. So, I mean, there's certain things, you know, you're going to, and at this point, I think Dame, I, I can't, obviously I can't speak for him, but he may look at it in a sense of, you know, well, at least some of these black journalists, they may actually, because we have a, a similar, at least a similar background, they may have more of my best interests in mind as and, opposed to the white journalists. Especially yeah. when it comes to reporting on him accurately, which again, exactly. we're we're currently in this sort of fake news zeitgeist right now where yeah. journalists need to kind of amp it up in terms of being able to report accurately and not be called out by guys like Damian Lillard because it doesn't help a narrative that we're already challenged with and facing every day during these like fake news times. Whether that's a conspiracy thing or not, it has influence and, and it has impact on the way journalists are being viewed present day. And when things like this happen to a guy like Damian Lillard and he now calls these journalists out for being just flat out wrong, that doesn't help the narrative and the credibility of the journalist or the industry at large. Not at all. It, it definitely does not. So, I mean, and that's where I, I kind of think... Um, you know, somebody, or you can even put Kevin Durant in that. I mean, you know, he, he, you know how he feels about the media in general. Right. I mean, he just said, he just went at um, Skip Bayless again, was yesterday or the day before? Yeah. I mean, they've been going back and forth for years. He just told him, like, dude, I don't like you. Like, too quit talking about me. But again, he did that in the sense that Skip Bayless, like he always does, he's placing him against LeBron. You know, it's always, he's always pitting. KD against LeBron, and KD is probably just tired of it. You know what I mean? So right. I get it. And, he, you know, he's one of the main ones that tend to do that. Everybody doesn't always do that. So, I mean, I, I kind of get where a guy like uh, Kevin Durant and, and Damian Lillard, where they're coming from, where, like, okay, so these other people, they obviously, they don't care about me. Because they don't understand him as a person, which is the reason why I'm able to come on this podcast and have the analysis that I do, because... I know that majority of my peers, they're not backstage kicking it with Gilly and Wallow. I'm not bragging about it, but I just know y'all wouldn't collect, y'all wouldn't connect with Gilly and Wallow on anything. 
So it, it wouldn't even it would they would look at y'all crazy backstage. But Dame, who's cut from a similar cloth again that I'm come that I'm cut from, he went and did an hour and fifteen minute interview with Gillian Wallow that he ain't doing for these journalists that clearly he's calling out. So again, as a journalist myself, it's a tough position to be in because I understand why somebody like Gilly would look at it as not cool for somebody to be a journalist. I can't tell you how many times I've been profiled. And when I say profiled, I, I mean this in, in terms of I've gone out and people have met me and I don't come off, come off as a journalist when you meet me just in my social element. A lot of people would never expect that I'm a journalist or even more so have been able to even do some of the things that I've been able to accomplish in this space. So when I yep. tell them that I'm a journalist because conversation may have just led us to that point, I can't tell you how many awkward silences that I've got for telling people I'm a journalist because I look like somebody that identifies as the exact opposite of a fucking journalist. Right. <laughs> it throws them off. Nine times out of ten, it throws people off that I randomly meet and they don't meet me as a journalist. And I'm not just talking about white people, black people included, yeah, it, yeah. all racists. It's like, yo, like, I didn't connect with you on no... I wouldn't have assumed you were a journalist based on how I've connected with you. So now that I'm hearing you say this, it's like throwing me off a little bit because of the stereotype and the stigma that journalism has. And a lot of it has to do with the racial dynamics in regards to who and who can't get hired to be a journalist. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> I mean, I, I, I can't agree with you more on that. I mean, I, and, and there is definitely that there's a, there's, which is, there's a stigma amongst journalism, right? Of uh, journalists, you know, it's kind of like, yeah, it's kind of like how people think about lawyers. People think all lawyers are, you know, creeps and they're sneaky and underhanded. Journalists kind of have a little bit of that same reputation, especially know, today, party in this fake new, like I said, in this fake news zeitgeist. The spirit of the times right now is that news is fake, journalism isn't to be trusted, and that's a challenge and a barrier that we're facing as journalists in this industry. It doesn't help when the subject matter is coming out and saying you're falsely reporting on them, and obviously, in this case, the subject matter being Damian Lillard. All facts, yeah. Yeah, that, that doesn't help. And I mean, we, we've been here for a while, though. I mean, athletes have been non-trusting of the media, maybe not as much as now, as widespread, but it's been going on for, you know, for a while. For sure. You know I mean? And I don't know, and now, do you think social media has brought that in a little bit as far as the distrust? I think social media has brought it in. I think politics have brought it in. Like I said, we're in a time yeah, period man. where... People are challenging the credibility of journalists in ways that I've never seen it before. And obviously, just looking at the side of history that we're on from a social level, it's clear as day that this is a cis white male dominated industry. So it can only be covered a particular way. And now we get better understanding as to why certain coverage has been framed the way it has been, because look who's doing the covering. Yep. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, I, like I said, I, I can't disagree with anything that, that you said about this. I, I just can't because it it's right in our face too. You know what I mean? It's not like it, it, there's no longer a secret about it. You know, it was talked about for years, 
It's in books now, Part T. I was just in a book that had an entire chapter dedicated to it, and I was quoted in it. Loving sports when they don't love you back. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. It's, a, it's not a secret no more. If it is, it's the worst kept secret, secret going in the industry. Absolutely. It's not, it's not a secret. Absolutely. I, I, can, I can understand why Dame... Uh, Damian Lillard would feel the way he feels about talking to, I guess, like you said, the traditional media, sports media. Absolutely. And you know what? I can also feel why Gilly the King, who has the hottest podcast in the game, feels the way that he feels. And this is what he does now for a living, but he refuses yeah. to identify as it. He refuses. Refuses, and I don't blame him. I've had a hard time calling myself a journalist over the years because I know the stigma surrounded by that word, especially in in terms of its impact on people that come from where I come from. Like, I understood. Again, I knew Gilly's answer was going to be no, but it was just interesting to be able to ask him that question and to hear that answer in the position that he's in right now as arguably one of the best interviewers in the world. Yeah. Did he elaborate on that? I didn't need him to. I didn't need him to because I didn't want to make it more awkward and get in my journalist bag and ask him to elaborate because I already knew what it was. Right. <laughs> I knew what it was. I knew what the answer was going to be, and I didn't need him to elaborate more on that because I already know what it is, and it's so connected to this situation with Damian Lillard. Like I said, it's very telling that Dame is claiming that these guys don't have his number. He hasn't talked to these guys, but just 10 months ago, he sat down for over an hour with Gillian Wallow, who does the same things, essentially, but they don't identify as a journalist and in some ways don't approach it to be able to report more accurately on the subject matter because they know what the subject matter is up against in terms in regards to the traditional journalism industry yeah so that's all i gotta say on that one man yeah no i mean like i said in i mean that it sounds like that would have been a really great conversation to have been around people that weren't there with you and, and Gilly and, and everybody else that was a part of that. It was only a few. It was backstage. We was doing what yeah. we do. I ain't going to call it out. Y'all, y'all, y'all speculate on whatever it was that we was doing, but we was doing what we do. <laughs> and we chilled and we yeah. talked and we talked the real. And a lot of people in the journalism field would never even be able to have that conversation because they're so disconnected from a Gilly and a Wallow that... It, it it don't even make sense for them to even ever be in the same room. Yeah, yeah, and and, and again, like you said, the, the most of the traditional media, and 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 that's not just all white media. Some black some black members of the media for they, sure, because you know, a lot of the black members in the media have had to adapt to this traditional journalism game, and they've sort of code switched a little bit to be able to make way in that particular space. It's I mean, a, which is, you know, really the history of this country. We, for sure. It. It's we, on so many we, levels. Everything here. A lot. We, we code switch all the time because of what we're up against. And I don't blame the black media for that, but the ones that usually get to prominence usually do some type of code switching at some point down the line. And I don't knock them for it, but it is what it is. It's what we're up against. Yeah, and I mean, like you, you, you alluded to it earlier, that's what Stephen A. gets knocked about a lot. 
Let's just be honest. For sure. Absolutely. That's why he's knocked a lot by the black community. Yeah, he has to defend himself a lot more often than I think he would like to these days for that. Definitely, yeah. For that. Especially over the last 10 years since social media, and, you know, we actually have more access to people now. Yeah. You know, that are, are at a certain level. Yeah, he definitely does a lot more defending of himself. And I guess his blackness, if you right. a better term. Right, right. A lot of defending of that in these last, you know, five, ten years. A Absolutely. Lot more than he probably should, and definitely more than he wants to. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Lastly, I'm going to do a quick take and L segment to wrap this up, Parti. If you got one, cool. If not, don't worry about it. I I know you didn't really plan for this. But my take and L's obviously goes to the Portland Timbers. And this isn't necessarily a segment to shit on the Timbers. It was a devastating loss against New York over the weekend. We had the MLS Cup here in Portland. It was absolutely insane. The environment, the community. I myself as a Timbers fan. Party, you know this as good as anybody. We used to work for the Timbers radio station. So my first ever job in broadcasting and radio was as a board operator for Timbers matches. That's how I ever gained interest in soccer. I didn't grow up a soccer fan, covering soccer, caring about soccer, none of that. But the Timbers got me going to soccer matches, and I'm fortunate to be in Soccer City, USA, where I'm kind of (laughs) spoiled. I'm spoiled by my experience of the sport, at least in America, for sure, because I'm in the best city that you could possibly be in. And I do think in maybe 95% of the ways that was on display, um, that was on display in on Saturday, but that 5%, and Parti, I talk about this all the time on this podcast, I talk about cultural karma, right? And my true belief is, the Portland Timbers lost that match when that fan threw that bottle at the player after the after New York scored a goal. You could blame it on the goalie and he wasn't able to hold it down. You could blame it on all of that. But to me, when I saw that happen, I knew New York was gonna come away MLS Cup champions. Yeah. That's the best, that's the best analysis I got for you about the MLS Cup, baby. <laughs> But I knew that. I talk about cultural karma all the time. When I saw that, I mean, you could clearly see it, and I was watching it on TV. You could even clearly see it on live TV because it was during the celebration where the camera was on the team, basically. And when I seen that happen, I'm like, yeah, Portland not winning this one, even though the game ended up being as dramatic as a soccer match could probably potentially be. But I knew karma wasn't necessarily on the Portland's timber side once that happened. It's unfortunate. It has nothing to do with the technical skill sets of the players on the field, but that's my analysis on the Portland Timbers losing the MLS Cup, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> God, that's rough. That was rough. That was rough. But Parti, I'm about to get out of here, man. I appreciate you for coming on, rocking with me on the last episode of 2021. Tell them where to follow you. Check out your podcast, your work, all the things. Uh, yeah, uh, so you can find me on Deadspin every day, uh, Chris Parti. Find me on Twitter, Instagram, at Chris Parti. That's C-R-I-S-S-P-A-R-T-E-E. And uh, check out my podcast, The Courtside Crossover with Chris Parti. Um, yeah, every week. Uh, sometimes I do uh, two episodes a week. So, you know, check me out on Spreaker, Spotify, uh, iHeartRadio. We're, we're pretty much everywhere. Just put in The Courtside Crossover with Chris Parti, and you'll find us. We hear all the time. Abs- absolutely. Thank you for joining again, man. Appreciate it.
For sure, man. You know, I got you anytime. Absolutely. All right. Bet. On that note, we're going to leave y'all the only way that we know how, and that is to stay woke and go win. <laughs> <laughs>